does optimism play in Judaism? Optimism play in Judaism when a person approaches life. So one could say that there's two approaches that a person can take in view of future events. One is an optimistic approach and one is a pessimistic approach. An optimistic approach would mean that a person views things however bad they seem or however good they seem. If they're good, they'll get even better or they'll stay the same. If they're bad, they'll improve. If a person's pessimistic, so then if they're good, they're bound to go bad sooner or later. And if they are bad, they'll definitely either remain this way or get even worse. So there's two, 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 two attitudes towards a person in having life. Now the question is, of course those are words and those are, those are attitudes and those are paradigms which are formed by using the English language, which by its very nature confines us to a particular paradigm. One of the greatest tragedies that the sages mourn was the translation of the Torah into Greek. The Torah told me, the king, ordered that the Torah be translated by 70 separate sages simultaneously, all secluded in different rooms, and they were all to translate the Torah into Greek. The Septuagint, I believe it's called, if not correctly pronounced, but nevertheless, no one knows how to pronounce it. <laughs> it's like those, it's like one of those. Jewish words you only know if you from that they exist in English. Phylacteries, exegesis, which is sometimes mispronounced as exegesis, <laughs> not appropriate. And there's a lot of other words, a priori, etc. So the Septuagint was the Torah translated by 70 sages independently, and a miracle occurred, and they all came up with the same translation in Greek. While speaking about Greek, we also have to understand a basic principle as an aside, if we just may. Imagine if a person gave you a copy of Plato's original work and they didn't bother telling you that it was written in Greek and it was written in Greek and they told you to read it and you didn't know how to speak Greek. How far would you get? Not very far at all, correct? So how is it that people attempt to learn Gemara without knowing Hebrew and Aramaic? Just the cash on the side. Moving forward, moving forward, moving forward at a rapid rate. What is better, optimism or pessimism? Neither, because both of those words stem from English. The tragedy of the Torah being translated into Greek was that each language contains subliminally, by the words and their constructs and their connotations, leads us to think in a particular way. The Greek culture <coughs> exonerated the mind, praised the body, and affirmed that there was nothing beyond that which could be perceived and understood. There was no room for the supernatural and that which extended beyond the human intellect. The human intellect became the center of the universe. It was a homocentric universe. Man at the center. When man's at the center of the universe, the vocabulary you develop to describe life is biased by that perception. Whereas, when you speak in Loshna Kodesh, 
the language differs because it has an intrinsic connotation which completely transcends the social mores of a given time and a given place. When we speak in English, we become limited by the Western culture. When we think in English, we become limited by the Western culture because the culture comes to fore in the use of the language it is created to present its ideas. And therefore, the truth is, neither an optimistic nor a pessimistic approach is appropriate in Judaism because those concepts perhaps are not Jewish. What we have to do is we have to seek out the overlapping concept and find its source and then we can move forward in our approach to life. Good? Now, says the Sefer Ikorim that we began yesterday, in Perik Mem Zayin, chapter 47, in the fourth section of Sefer Ikorim, the book of essential principles, but as you'll see, as you see, as we go further on, what we'd like to do is we'd like to incorporate more and more Hebrew words into our vocabulary to avoid being trapped in our paradigm prisons. An easy example of it, Ari, is when you say the word God, what comes to mind? Hashem. <laughs> what, what, what is that? Uh, what are you asking me? Um, <laughs> quite simple. When I say the word God, <laughs> what image arises in your mind? What connotations does it create? It I don't have like. You don't have any. What are you doing here in a religious like place? You don't even know who God is. You should be somewhere else. You should be on the streets having a good time. I don't have like an imaginary like. Okay. Good. Like good. 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 Man. Good. So you apostle. Fine. You don't. What? What isn't your image of? Uh, good. <laughs> you don't have an image of. <laughs> <laughs> Good. You don't have a mini image of a man who's extending a very long, well-built finger with a tremendously powerful bicep to some creature and their fingers are touching as Michelangelo so beautifully put it. You don't. You don't have this man in a cloud with a big white beard. Good. Good. I'm glad you don't have that image in your head. Um, <laughs> but God has a connotation. God has a connotation because God is a word that's used to describe the supreme being in Christianity. Again, it can be borrowed and can be applied and it can be... But that's a word. The, the truth is, it's quite interesting. You know, etymology, et et etymology, etymology is a fascinating... There's a word God in Hebrew as well, correct? Yes. Ah, oh, good. The word God in Hebrew is one of the tribes. God, bar God. And the, I'm serious. <laughs> called God. God. God is one of the tribes. God and Asher. Before God, Asher, before Asher, God was born. So God in Hebrew means luck. Chance. Interesting. Mazel. Bo Mazel. Means Mazel. If you, want to, if you want to look at something which is extremely sketchy and dodgy and makes absolutely no sense and it's the type of thing that you tell people who aren't thinking and you say to them, do you know what? Everything's unified. And they go, yes, everything's unified. <laughs> and then you say to them, what is the numerical value of the name of Hashem? And they say, 26. Yud is 10. Hey is 5. 15. Vav is 6. 21. Hey is 5. 26. 26. What is the numerical value of God? 
They say, you can't say the numerical value of God because there's no gematria in English. Fine. So we'll just count where the letter's located in the alphabet and we'll call it numbers. Let's go to G. A, B, C, D, E, F, G is 7. Yes? L, M, N, O is 11. Okay, 18. Okay? And finally, we get to D, which is A, B, C, D, 4. Oh gosh, 22. So close, but yet so far. Is that right? Must be wrong. G, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, 7. L, F, G, G. <laughs> See, the problem is my alphabet, that's the problem. G. H I J K L M N O. Ah! There you go! There you go! There you go! There you go! What's it? It's before it makes it twenty. It's at twenty-six! So if you want to if you want to say, yeah, you see it's all connected, but we don't want to do the things like that because why would we? What does that mean? I mean what does that mean? That's bizarre. <laughs> but language is very limiting. I'm speaking this in English. And that's why most people who speak Yeshivish try their hardest to avoid speaking English. You can meet them in the streets. And you can speak with them. And you can. People say, I remember when my in-laws moved to Israel. <laughs> One of my, actually my wife told this to me, told this to me recently. That they went to, they, they came to Israel and uh, there was shirim in English advertised and my mother-in-law would go to the shirim and she'd say it wasn't in English I mean the man spoke English clearly but it wasn't English and that, that is because the way people speak in yeshivish terminology is so it says in this week's parsha a gewaldige zach when the pasuk when the pasuk says over something from Yaakov Avinu what we mean to say is it's really just a marshal now all of you are understanding what I'm saying because you know the words. But if you don't know the words, there are like three English words and other words which are just Stelldevec through other Lashonas. You following me? But when one speaks in English one becomes limited by the paradigm. So therefore, when we speak about optimism and pessimism, we're really limiting ourselves. Let's not speak about that at all. Let's speak about approaches to life and let's describe them as opposed to giving them labels and let's begin by viewing a very fascinating exploration in this notion which perhaps overlaps with optimism and pessimism and that's an approach given by as we said Rebiosif Alba in Perik Memzain chapter 47 of Sefer Ikarim the book of Ikarim it's an Ikar and it's an Ikar book and it's got the Ikarim in it says the says the Mechaber the Mechaber sorry Zok the Mechaber <laughs> Hatikva vahatoicheles, hudavar hechrechi el hamamin. Hatikva. Hatikva. Hatikva is the hope. Translating it into English, it means the attitude towards which things will work out okay. Vahatoicheles. Perhaps you could render it as the wish. Hatikva toicheles hudavar hechreichi alamamin is something which is 
absolute an absolute necessity to a believer to a person who falls under the category of mamin he has emuna emuna means trust and trustworthiness such a person that's a mamin that means he has a relationship with his creator he has an awareness of the supreme being and then he lives his life in that world in that paradigm this mamin has to have something to take with him nay say i joe shall a man's face be downcast and downtrodden when being confronted by the appears to be overwhelming burden of Judaism but on the contrary a person should be filled, renewed, revitalized, invigorated with hope and optimism and not only should he and not only could he but must he Yonason he must, he must Yonason, sorry, Yonason is it Yonason or is it Yonason? Just Yonason. I got you admitted. Just Yonason. <laughs> he said Yonason. He didn't say Yonatan. Hatikva vahatoicheles. He fell into the trap. Hatikva vahatoicheles. Hudava hechrechi el hamamin. So both tikva, tikva, and both toicheles, wish and hope, both those positive attitudes towards life are an in- integral part of a mamin. Now this is addressing a very fundamental problem. As you all know, Judaism purports a structure to life with cause and effect. There's a whole set of spiritual rules of the universe. And the way we perceive what we call mitzvot and averot, or badly translated into English, commandments and transgressions, the way we view them is not that Hashem's sitting there and He's got this massive rule book. Hashem's the ultimate Australian, yeah, you know, one second, rule number three million and two, no parking in a parking zone between the hours of 9.05 and 9.07 on a Sunday in July, you you never knew that rule, yeah, that rule was made in order to avoid possums being run over, yeah, so God is not the ultimate Australian that sits there with this gigantic rule book and he's always, they always make up, I saw the building they kept the rules in Australia, it's huge, it's massive, it's on the, it's, on the, it's, it's a huge, huge 9,000 story building, because they always make up new rules, new rules, and then whenever they make a rule they have to make up a new rule about the rule, so it's, it's never ending, it's infinite, so you, one person may perceive that God's this gigantic rule maker and he sits there in a, a spiritual Canberra and he says, okay, let's make up some new rules. He says, how about, how about making him wear some type of garment? Yeah, garment. <laughs> Sound, sounds good to me. Yeah, what kind of garment do you want to make them wear? Let's make him, you know, four-cornered garment. And then comes up with the idea of this. No, 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 no. And then, and then, of course, once the rules are made, so then there's, if you're a bad boy, so then they, they suspend your license or they put you in jail for a very, very long time with the rest of them. That's, that's, not, that's not the perception that's an absolute total distortion of our notion of the rather understanding is as follows that the mitzvahs and the averas are descriptive they're not prescriptive they're describing a reality now you can't see that reality if you look at a cheeseburger it looks perfectly harmless of course it's not if you're a young healthy man and you're not worried about your cholesterol 
or diet or body you look at a this one, let's not talk about this one talk, why talk, let's talk about a nice lean slice of ham makes me want to vomit but let's talk about it for a moment so there's a nice lean slice of ham you look at that it doesn't there's no problem with it there's no problem especially if you only have it occasionally and it's cavalt against kashmak you look at it so without the avera of knowing that there's a prohibition against eating it you wouldn't realize the harm that it does to you but the Rebbein Shalom says, by the way, I'm just going to let you into the world behind the world. There's a whole world that's working, and this is just the outer crust. And you can't see beyond it unless I give you the eyes to see and the vision to perceive. And I'm going to open up that world to you. Opening up that world to you is called Torah. Just like science opens up the world beneath the natural world, Torah opens up the world behind the spiritual world. The world behind behind. Science goes one level behind, Torah goes two levels behind. But ultimately we're just describing reality. And just if a person says, do you know what, I just don't hold the molecules. I'm not, I'm choylek. I don't hold the molecules. In fact, I'm choylek on germs, bichlau. There were many people until very recent times that didn't hold of germs. And most people that went for, for medical operations died of septicemia. The operation was perfectly successful, but they never knew that you should wash your hands. Because they didn't understand that there was a relationship between dirt and disease. So now if you hold, there's no relation between dirt and disease. So I'm, I'm one of those people. I hold, there's no relation between... So now, what happens when a person goes and he puts a dirty hand into an infected wound? So he's, I don't hold of it! So, so that's going to affect... When I said infected, I meant almost to be infected. It was so likely that it was Kimat infected already. It's posh it. So, if a person says, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in this, all, this nonsense about germs. <laughs> and then he gets up to see me and dies. I still don't believe in it. On his death, his last words, he said, I don't believe in it. It doesn't help. It doesn't help whether you believe it or not. It's a reality. So it's a reality. And therefore, reward and punishment are actually misnomers. There's no such thing as a reward and punishment. There's consequences. You don't say that a person is punished for eating cholesterol by having clogged arteries. He's been punished. Mother Nature punished him. No, you say, that's what happens. That's the way it works. It's just the, the nature of cause and effect. So mitzvahs are cause and effect. Are, we all, are you all following me so far? It's very important. This is, this is a very important idea. Mitzvahs are cause and effect. Mitzvahs and the various. If I do a mitzvah, this will happen. In other words, the church is just an insight. It's, it's, it's taking the veils of the world and saying, guys, look inside. This is really what's going on. When you say those words which are derogatory about that person, look what happened. And you look and you just see world being boom, smashed and destroyed. When you decide to have a bit of a lay-in, and uh, Christmas is 8 or 8 and you wake up at 8.10 huh? you look at your soul and there's this massive gigantic hole this big this big never can be filled ever 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 just going to be there forever a gaping hole big big gaping hole I'm saying as an example I know it's not relevant to anyone <laughs> present today it's a reality. <laughs> it's, it's simply, it's a reality. It's a reality. So now once you perceive that reality, the following problem occurs. You then say, okay, well, tell me more about this reality. How many of these laws are there? Say, so, well, there's approximately 613. But those 613 are really just the beginning. Because once you actually subdivide them, there's literally hundreds of thousands. So you say, aha. Um, well, you know, the truth is, I only know six. <laughs> So, well, buddy, I hate to break it to you, but you're pretty much walking, <laughs> walking through a spiritual minefield and the chance of you getting exploded at any point in time and having like multiple injuries on your soul 
are basically inevitable. I hate to be the one to break this to you. I mean, so at that point in time, you say, hi, um, is there another program? <laughs> Has someone got a different approach to this? A new version of reality that's more comfortable with my present state of living? No, I understand why you're bored. No, I understand why you're bored. It's boring. It's boring. Everyone else is bored as well. <laughs> so, so therefore, so therefore, there's a, there's a problem over here, which I which I think the the safer aquarium is dealing with. The problem is that why should one be why should one be why should you have hope? <laughs> Essentially, our situation our situation is hopeless. That's that's the point I'm trying to get to. It took me a long time to get there. I apologize. <laughs> apologize. I'm like the train. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, Dave, maybe I'll install, maybe I'll install something like we can project something onto my oversized forehead, which like project, like the next time when a good vote's about to come out, and like we'll have a countdown. Like 15 minutes time, there will be a good vote. So then at least you're like, you know, you're not impatient. You just know, and you can do other things. You can like twiddle your thumbs, and you can look at the window. I'm, oh, that's true. I'm still free. Oh, yeah. I'm not as choshev as a train. I'm as late, but not as choshev. Good. Um, so really it should be hopeless the situation should be hopeless so therefore it's astonishing when, when the safety crime says it's really it's, it's, it's absolutely it's a necessity that everyone has to be hopeful but there's no, there's no hope there is no hope I mean I don't mean to, <laughs> to sound uh, like a prophet of doom but I just want to break it gently there's no hope so then how can there be how can there be hope how can there be hope there's too much to know there's too much to do the expectations are too great we can't succeed or the chance of success are so, so really very, very slim. So really, why, where would that hope come from? Where would that hope come from? Where would that, do you understand the problem? Again, we have to, in, uh, if, we, if we want to understand the Chidush, we have to understand what we would have thought without the Chidush. What would we, we would have thought that there's no hope. We would have thought this is just way too much. You can't, you can't, you can't actually, you can't actually do it. Again, this is, this is, this is once you've, got to the level where you understand you're on the level of emuna, understanding, insight that you understand that there's a reality out there and the reality is extremely complex and it's, and it's very fine-tuned and one deviation can just cause a massive havoc in the system. Once you're there so then, so then you almost feel paralyzed by fear. How can I move forward? Because everything I'm doing is probably going to be wrong. It's like the Baal that goes to the family and goes to the bathroom and just doesn't come out. And three hours later, you see he like he's a, you, you find him like trying to escape through a window because he didn't know if you could flash the chain on, on Shabbos. Because <laughs> you don't know, you think everything's wrong. No? You, you've had that experience, eh? I can see that. <laughs> yes, Michael Foreman? Don't you? Just, yeah, I know you want to remain anonymous for, <laughs> for locking yourself into the John for six hours because you're too scared to come out because you don't want to. I know, I know. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry, other people in the share, like your holiness and over there. Um, so, so really, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no room for hope. There's no room for hope. It's pretty much, it's, 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 it's very, very, it's very, very upsetting. But the bottom line is, the expectations are too great, and our capacity is too limited. And just looking around at the room, certainly, I mean, I think your guys' chances are. <laughs> we don't want to say, but. Not looking that good, you know what I'm saying? No, um, 
not to understand the problem. That's the problem. So now comes along the the safe requirement. Says no, it's, it's it's vital. You have to have this. Well, how can you have it? How can you possibly have it? Where does it come from? What is it all about? So I'm gonna, I'm going to leave it at that. I want you to ponder that thought because I think it's a very basic thought in understanding Judaism and how it works and understanding our relationship with the Creator. So it's, it's crucial. If you don't understand the trouble you're in, you won't understand the chiddush of the fact that you actually have to be happy in life. You think, no, you, you should be absolutely depressed all day long. <laughs> so why should you be happy? But you have to understand that people think, what do you mean? Why should I be depressed? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How many minutes are you keeping? Well, there's 630. I'm keeping six. They don't understand the complexity. Okay, Rabbi Sai? So we'll stop there and um, we'll continue another time.